Good morning. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. But first, let's catch up with some of the day's top headlines. President Trump signed a pair of executive orders targeting Chinese companies TikTok and WeChat. The orders will bar people in the U.S. from transactions with the companies. They also impose a 45-day deadline on any potential TikTok sale to Microsoft. The U.S. Department of Labor says the country added 1.2 million jobs during the month of July, bringing the unemployment rate to just over 10 percent. That means fewer than half of the jobs lost in April have now been recovered. The NFL wants to start its season in September, but at least 67 players have so far said they're not playing because of the pandemic. Just under half of them are linesmen. Millions of U.S. citizens cannot vote because they have felony convictions. This fact disproportionately impacts black people. The latest figures show one in 13 black American adults are disenfranchised. This week, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed an executive order that gives back voting rights to tens of thousands of Iowans who have been convicted of felonies and who completed their sentences. It boils down to our fundamental belief in redemption and second chances. One local Iowa public radio reporter told NPR the governor has a couple of drinking and driving violations on her record, and she believes in second chances. Now, people who have been convicted of murder and other homicide offenses will still need to appeal to the governor to get back their voting rights. But those who've served their time are not required to pay any fines or fees in order to cast a ballot. But that's not the case in Florida, where in 2016, an estimated one in five African-Americans were disenfranchised. Here's a bit of context. In the 2016 presidential election, the rule in Florida was if you've been convicted of a felony, you can't vote. According to the nonprofit advocacy group The Sentencing Project, this rule applied to nearly 1.5 million Floridians in 2016. And two years later, during the midterm elections, nearly two-thirds of Florida residents voted to pass a constitutional amendment that reversed this policy. Some lawmakers in Florida worked hard to limit the scope of this measure. They passed a law that requires anyone with a felony conviction who wants to regain their right to vote to not only pay all victim restitutions, but also repay all fines, fees, and court costs. Voting rights advocates say that that law is a modern poll tax. As of this year, that bill is keeping more than 774,000 Floridians from voting. That's according to reporting in The Guardian, which cites stats from the University of Florida. And as of the end of May, Florida's Division of Elections has not reviewed up to 85,000 voter registrations of people with felony convictions. Wait a minute, but this is moving through the courts right now, right? What's happening there? Well, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals is looking into it. The Supreme Court weighed in in July, which is keeping this law in place for now. But The Guardian notes that even if the court ultimately sides with people who've been convicted of felonies, there's very little time to register before the November election. Across the globe, COVID-19 is giving certain leaders a chance to strengthen their already strong grip on power. So far during the pandemic, more than 60 elections have been postponed and press freedoms have been restricted in more than 40 countries. 
Yeah, this is the focus of a PBS NewsHour interview with Anne Applebaum. She writes for The Atlantic, and she's documented the rise of authoritarian leaders, this push to centralize power at the top level of government and limit political freedoms. She's out with a new book now called Twilight of Democracy. In that interview, Applebaum points to Hungary as an example. President Viktor Orban has been slowly consolidating power. And when the pandemic became a global threat, Hungary's parliament gave Orban the emergency power to rule by decree. And she points to Poland. They recently had a presidential election where the challenger questioned the outcome. But the Supreme Court, which was handpicked by the sitting president, validated the results. And then there's Hong Kong. Its pro-Beijing council canceled an upcoming election that they're expected to lose. Yeah, her book is getting a lot of traction. In fact, conservative columnist George Will references Applebaum's book in an op-ed he penned for The Washington Post. He writes, Authoritarianism can appeal to people on both ends of the political spectrum who are annoyed by all the arguments that come with living in a democracy. He describes those folks as people, quote, who'd prefer to live in a society tied together by a single narrative. We have learned a lot of new medical terminology in these past few months, like PPE, personal protective equipment, or that serology tests look for antibodies, or the difference between symptomatic and asymptomatic carriers. You might have never come across these words if it weren't for the coronavirus. Medical experts say the pandemic has shown just how much work our country needs to do to improve so-called health literacy. This has nothing to do with reading and writing. It's about being able to understand and ask the right questions about health care. The Washington Post interviewed several doctors, and all of them say this is not a criticism of patients. This is mostly a criticism of how the medical community relays information to people. There was one study that tried to gauge how often people misunderstand the directions they were given for prescription drugs. You know how it'll say something like, take two pills twice daily. Mm -hmm. In this particular study, almost half of the people misunderstood the directions. Low health literacy is particularly dangerous during this pandemic. The Washington Post points to research that shows which groups of people have the hardest time understanding medical directions. And that's older adults and also people with lower incomes and education levels. This particular group includes a higher concentration of people in racial and ethnic minorities and non-native English speakers. The roster is getting shorter and shorter for the Miami Marlins after a COVID-19 outbreak benched most of their opening day players. So the team, in need of a pinch hitter, turned to an unexpected athlete, a former Olympic speed skater. Now, I'm actually a fan of his. Eddie Alvarez made his professional baseball debut this week. He won a silver medal at the Olympics for short track speed skating. And this week, he started with the Marlins in both games of a doubleheader against the Baltimore Orioles. And, well, he went 0 for 5. (laughs) Well, the switch to baseball has apparently always been a goal of his. Alvarez's story is profiled in The Wall Street Journal, which reports that when he was nine years old, he told a local paper that his dream was to compete in the Winter Olympics and play in the World Series. So he's halfway there. He's got one of them under his belt. Now, whether the Marlins can actually make it to the World Series, I don't know. Maybe don't hold your breath on that. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of this week's audio stories. We'll talk with you again on Monday.